Good morning, everyone. I greet you in Jesus' name. I want to look at a couple of verses in uh, Hebrews 10 to uh, start with. The last two verses of the chapter of Hebrews 10, verses 38 and 39. And they say this, Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back into, unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Now we've heard that uh, clause often, Now the just shall live by faith. <clears throat> what does that mean? The just shall live by faith. To live by faith. It's an important thing. And, and Hebrews stresses that and goes into the next chapter. Describing faith and talking of uh, mentioning examples of faith uh, from, from, uh, from history. Of godly men of faith and women. And it describes it as something that man can be living and man can leave. If any man draw back, uh, God is not pleased with that. But we, writing to the Hebrews, to the recipients of this letter, and I hope all of us, are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. The just shall live by by faith, <clears throat> the just shall live by conviction. The just shall live by the truth of God. And most of us, probably all of us know of people that have uh, said they were Christian, we thought were Christian, and they stood for things. They said they believed this and they believed that. And sometimes maybe we even heard them express their conviction uh, fervently, even fiercely. And, but as the years went by, something changed and uh, now they are not there. Now the world of, uh, uh, Ryan this morning in the uh, in the opening gave an excellent description of the deceivers, the deceiver at work, Satan deceiving. And there are the world is full of deceptions, of darkness, of false teaching, false thinking, and untruth that will lead men to destruction. And we, we know from the scripture that, that man has this tendency that doesn't naturally head to the light. It, uh, it tends to, to, uh, to go toward what he wants. And if he's selfish and unconverted, he will tend to uh, dark things. And so the world is a very dark place, but there is a light. And there is a truth. There is a light 
uh, a truth that leads to, to life and to holiness. The God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, Paul wrote in Corinthians. And he also describes a glory, the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God. And he wrote to Timothy, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now there have been men, uh, as is pointed out in Hebrews, men and women uh, through history who lived by faith. They didn't follow their own thinking. They didn't follow uh, the, the pressures around them. They followed what God said. When Abraham heard God's call, go to a land that you know not of. And when, when Abraham heard God's direction to offer Isaac on Mount Moriah, uh, we can imagine the questions that went through his mind. What would go through our minds if we heard something like that? But Abraham was a man of strong conviction. God would be right. What God says is right and good. And God's ways for me are right. And Paul wrote in Romans 4 verse 20 that Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. Now that's an example of conviction, of living by faith. And Joseph, he did not give in for a moment to the evil wiles of Potiphar's wife. When that temptation came, there was no question. He refused. He was firm. He had the perspective of God. He had the perspective of truth. And there was no wavering, no compromising in what he thought or how he behaved. God's ways are right, he knew. God's ways for me are right and best. And he refused and he said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. But, and there is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee because thou art his wife. How then can I or could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He didn't. That's conviction. That's, that's living by faith. And I think of Moses. We know the story of Moses. It's familiar to us and it's a sweet story of faith uh, of his parents and how he was set out there in a little basket floating in the Nile River and was discovered by Pharaoh's daughter. And how he spent a little while, a few years, we don't know how long, maybe, maybe two, maybe three, maybe four, uh, with his mother uh, nursing him for, uh, for, for Pharaoh's daughter. And then he was handed back to her. 
But somehow he was old enough, somehow in his time with his mom and dad, he caught, he picked up some critical truths. And it was enough that his loyalty was drawn, his interest was drawn to his people, to God's people. And no doubt he uh, learned more with time from watching uh, his, the, the people of his parents, the Hebrews. And he had some advantages as royalty. Maybe he made some contacts with some Hebrews and learned more uh, about God and God's ways. But it came, to a, it came to a point in his life where he knew that he had two options. He could be great and famous and powerful in the nation of Egypt. And, and some scripture would indicate that maybe he had risen high in, in influence and power. Certainly he had a position as... Uh, being part of Pharaoh's family. He knew that he could be part of that or he could be a part of the people of God. And he chose the people of God. He was convinced that God is real and God is right and his ways are right. And so he chose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a, se for a season. Hebrews eleven twenty five. Now many people would say, you are crazy to choose affliction over pleasure. But Moses was living by faith. He was living by conviction. God's ways are right. God's ways for me are right. Daniel, when he heard that edict from King Darius that everyone was to pray only to King Darius for, what was it, a month? A certain amount of time. Well, that was certainly the politically correct thing to do. And an onlooker would say, looking on the situation and looking on the, uh, the penalty of not abiding, not obeying that law, that it would be suicidal to do otherwise. But Daniel had a different perspective. God is right. God's ways are right. And they are right for me. And he prayed, just like he always did. Daniel, when he knew that the writing was signed, he knew what the law was. He went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime, like he had done before. The edict of King Darius uh, made no difference 
to, to Daniel. He lived by faith, by conviction. God is right. God's ways are right. Or I think of Paul, and we don't have time to review his life, but we know well enough how many obstacles and frustrations and persecutions that he faced from angry enemies of the gospel. But he wrote to his young friend, Timothy, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Living by faith. He could have caved in. He could have had an easier way here on the earth. But he knew that what he had heard from God and he believed God and he believed that God's ways were right for him and best for him. He lived by that conviction. What is conviction? What is a conviction? It is a strong belief that gives direction to life. It directs our action. Something that we are fully and completely convinced and persuaded about. And to live by faith, this is the truth of God's Word. It is held dear. It is lived by. We would die for for our convictions. Now, I'll point out that, uh, that convictions aren't all equal in the, in the way that I'm defining it, but it is a guide, and some of them we would definitely die for, no question. Now, the just shall live by faith. The Amplified says it this way, My righteous servant shall live by his conviction." Respecting man's relationship to God and divine things. It's not a preference. It's not a position that we would argue for and defend uh, because we prefer that or it's what we like best. It's something deeper. Sometimes people use the term conviction uh, too lightly and really it is a, just an intellectual exercise, uh, a preference. And sometimes people uh, use it as an excuse for the way they choose to live. I don't have a conviction about that. We have warnings about uh, ourselves and our tendency, which I referred to a little bit ago. Every way of man is right in his own eyes, the proverb writer said, but the Lord pondereth 
the hearts. Another proverb, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And there's a difference between a standard and following a standard and teaching uh, what we believe to our children or to one another and, and, a, and hearing that and a, or following that in a conviction. Uh, a conviction, we can teach standards, we can teach our children. We can teach them this is right and that is wrong. You shall do this. Do not do that. But it is only when they accept it and make it their own, they buy it, they own it, that it is a conviction in their heart. But we make our own. Now it's important that we teach our convictions as parents or as preachers or as Sunday school teachers, as brothers and sisters, that we encourage one another God knew that Abraham would teach his children, for I know him that he will command his children and his household after him. But it didn't become his children's convictions until they accepted and believed and followed the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, as he goes on to say in that verse. And Moses commanded the children of Israel to teach their children. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. But you know those children and, and in the way and so forth as the verse goes on, but it, it would not be a conviction to those children until they accept and embrace it. And we're taught in the New Testament to, uh, to bring up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, Timothy had an advantage. He had a godly mom and a godly grandmother, and they taught him. And at some point, he accepted those things for his very own. He believed them. I wanted to, uh, our time is quickly getting away here. I was going to say, I wanted to say that there are degrees of uh, convictions and some are very deep and foundational. Others are on a different level, but we follow them. Uh, could we agree that there are great truths under which there are other truths and other principles and applications and personal convictions and so forth? For example, this, this doesn't... Uh, well, this, this kind of uh, would illustrate. On Easter morning, when the women arrived at the tomb, what great truth did they discover? That angels did or did not have wings or that the Lord Jesus Christ arose from the dead. Now that is, that is transparently obvious. We did have some discussion. Uh, I was part of a discussion one time about, did, do angels have wings or not? Do angels have wings? Well, you know, we want to be true to the scripture and, 
And uh, if we were illustrating stories for children, we want to be accurate. And do angels have wings or not? So we look at the Bible and what does it tell us? And well, there's some difference of opinion, but you know that's not anywhere near on the same level as the Lord Jesus Christ arose from the dead. Maybe angels having wings or not, that's probably not even to the level of a conviction. Or a great truth, Jesus is coming again and there will be a judgment. A secondary matters would be how, how he comes, right? Like, will there be a thousand year reign or will there not? And, you know, some of those details, would we agree that those are not on the same level as Jesus is coming again? So as we read the scripture and as we listen and to teaching and we live and we learn and as we try to follow Christ, we learn truth on different levels and we form convictions and come to conviction and we, we pray for the Holy Spirit's guidance and direction. And that is not to say that the great truth is important and that secondary things are not. It's not to say that, but it's rather to say that the great truths are supremely important. And the secondary are important, but less critical. They don't all matter equally. And, and you know, in, uh, in, say, in church life and work, Maybe I don't think we'll have time to get to this, but I wanted to say this. Like in church life, we're a body together and people feel differently about some things, even things of conviction. But there are some great truths that, that, um, that, we, that we hold dear, some great convictions that we must have. One is Christian charity. And one is uh, submission to authority and submitting to one another. And you know, that can guide us even through uh, relationships and working together and living together as a church body when we see some things differently, those great truths there. Now I wanted to touch on some things about uh, developing personal conviction. And uh, we'll have to kind of hurry here, but one is we need to accept the word of truth, the word of God as the truth and final authority and guide for our lives. You know, the word is an anchor only and a fail-safe guide only when we believe it and only when we follow it. The world can laugh at it, the world does. The world can scorn and ridicule and mock people that believe the Bible, but we believe it. And you know, sometime the truth will be revealed to all the world, to all those mockers too. We believe that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and so on, that the man of God may be perfect and complete and he reads the Bible and he, he takes it seriously. The Bereans were more noble 
than people in other churches because they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily. They were earnest about what the Bible says. And I've been impressed with the Thessalonians. How Paul said about them that our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. As ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. And in the second chapter, he comes back and mentions that again in verse 13. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. The word of God is the final authority. That's, we, that's a, a foundation conviction. A second one, there, there has to be a relationship with God. In 1 John 5, it says this, God, and this is the record, that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Okay, that is a that is a uh, a basic truth, and so um, okay, let's look. Think about a couple of verses from John fifteen. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Just pointing out that Jesus said that the disciples were affected by their response to the word that he had taught them. But then he says this, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. And a little later in that same uh, passage and context, he says, If ye keep my commandments, Ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And a couple of verses later, ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I command you. So with this abiding in Christ and having the life of Christ in this communion, there's more than just affection for God. There, is, there comes direction. Commandments are a part of the relationship that he is the Lord I love. And that I take his word, I take his commandments and what he says about life, what he taught us in the Sermon on the Mount, about repentance, about devotion to God and His ways. I take that seriously. Separation from the world, fruit of the Spirit, 
Howbeit, when the Spirit of truth is come, He will guide you into all truth. People that are communing with God, have communion with God, learn. They're disciples that are learning. And, and along with that also, that we put uh, first things first, the important things first, most important things first. Uh, Jesus said that the first, the greatest commandment is, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is likened to it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So we should have a conviction that somehow, as, as God's child, I want to love God more than anything else. And that the very next commandment is to love my neighbor, to love everybody as myself. The most important first. The heart must be first. And I follow with the rest. There is more than number one and number two. For on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets are supposed to be, we're to pay attention to them. We're to live them out. But we start with one and two. In uh, 1 Corinthians 13, though I speak with the tongue of men and of angels and have not charity, it's just noise. And though I do other things and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I give all my goods to feed the poor, how good is that? And though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now these people were, what they list here were good things. But somehow, uh, they, they missed the very first things, the most important things. They had convictions about things, but they didn't have a conviction about the greatest commandment. They didn't love God first. They had left their first love if they had it. How we respond, this is another one. Our motives must be sincere. How we respond to the light that God shows us is a critical thing. When, when it speaks about the light in the New Testament, very often it's referring to the truth revealed 
the message from the word, a Bible message that we hear, a brother's exhortation. And evil men hate the light. John records that in the first chapter and in the third chapter. They evil men, they prefer the dark. They hate the light. Carnal Christians, selfish Christians, they're kind of uncomfortable a lot of times in the light. They kind of squirm when the light shines on them. But radiant Christians love the light. And there is a, uh, a spiritual law. Those who love the light will see more light. Those who love the Lord will come to know the Lord better. Take heed therefore how ye hear, for whosoever hath to him shall be given, and whosoever hath not from him shall be taken even that which he seemeth to have. Take heed how ye hear. Take heed how you, how you respond to the light. If we resist the light, if we resist the truth, we'll be losers. Even those, those who resist, even if they seem to have light, he says, they can lose what they had. We desire our, our motive. We are moved by, you know, what the scripture teaches us that we must fear the Lord. We love the Lord. And, and these are great motivations to us. And the more we learn to, to know God, the more we love him. There's always a fear, a reverence for God. We never take him for granted. But notice in the scripture sometime, do a little search and see how often in the New Testament it, we are encouraged and challenged to do that which pleases the Lord. Pleases the Lord. We want to do that. Another help in uh, growing in our conviction is input from others. And uh, just touch on that. We, uh, you know, the world admires. There are magazines and programs uh, and websites and many sources which... Uh, call attention and uh, heap praise and admiration and worship, idolatrous worship on, on ungodly people. We don't. We're concerned for them, but we don't admire, idolize ungodly people. We, we should admire and respect godly men and women. These men from Hebrews 11 and women uh, read biographies of godly men. Their stories are inspirational. Godly people. Uh, 
Seek out godly friends, people of conviction, people who take the Bible seriously and follow it and their, their lives are fruitful. You'll not be ahead to seek out the most popular and those people that are the most fun. You may have more fun, but you'll not get ahead. Look for Christians of character. Observe their lives and how they react, how they work, how they talk. Notice their attitudes and their spirit. What, what, makes, what makes them tick? How did, how did they get to be that way? How did they come to that? Be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. Now the church is a big part of this and the brotherhood. That's God's design that people committed to God, a local church committed to God and to each other. And there are things that happen in a local church that don't happen uh, in the same way in the universal church, though we're part of that as well. And, and God gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come together in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slate of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. This is happening in the church. The church of the living God, he described it to Timothy, the pillar and ground of the truth. We, uh, you know, we can, we develop convictions alone, but we can develop convictions and there's a safety in developing uh, in the influence and with godly people, God's people. And then, and then the last one here that I have is to follow the light, which is obvious, and we've been referring to that through the, through the message, but we need to follow the light. Obedience. As we're shown light, we obey. If we decide not, I'll not do this, a measure of darkness will come. It'll begin, that truth will begin to become shadowy. And you know that heaping that Paul wrote about people that heap to themselves teachers, people with itching ears. They'd like to hear this. They'd like to see a little more latitude here. And they kind of fudge up and, and make mushy some of the clear teaching of Christ and the Scripture. So we've, when we... Uh, when we see light, we, uh, we follow it. Now I want to conclude in, Ma in the Sermon on the Mount 
Matthew 7, the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, beginning at verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell. It fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. The wise man, a man of conviction, a man who knew that God's ways are right, a man that that accepted and embraced God's ways as his own. I will follow these ways, God's ways, God's truth is best, is right for me and no wavering. And we see what happened to the foolish man. He resisted. He did not do them. He did not follow through. He let them run off. And he crashed. He did not live by faith. May God help us. We have a wonderful, kind, heavenly Father. Let's love him more than anything else. And let's love one another. And let's love all the rest of God's commandments and live by faith. Shall we have a closing song?